We're going to continue our service through Samuel right into the summer. Mitch Foreman preached last week, did a great job talking about Israel asking for a king. We're going to pick up on chapter 12. So just a little bit again beyond that, really talking about Samuel's farewell address. Samuel's farewell address. I know it didn't feel like all that long ago we were looking at Samuel as a young boy in the tabernacle area, but here he is decades later after faithfully serving. He's coming to the end of his ministry. And friends, I think there's an application for all of us here when it comes to ministry. Because really, understand that we are all ministers. Every Christian is a minister. A minister is one who serves. Ministry is a service. I know that sometimes that terminology is used to describe pastors and clergy in particular. And that's true that we are not all pastors. Not everyone's a pastor. But we are all ministers. And that's a misuse of the term ministry or minister to refer to only pastors. Every Christian is called to serve. And I think when we look at Samuel's ministry, the end of his ministry is as judge. There's something for us to see and to learn. Here he is as he addresses the people of Israel after, in a sense, being rejected. He was the leader. (laughs) He was the judge. He was the one who basically oversaw the direction of the nation. And the people said, no thanks, Samuel. We want a king. We want to be like the nations. We want to be like everybody else. Your sons aren't doing the job we want them to do. You're great, but we need someone better. We want a king. And so as he addresses them, his farewell address as a judge, by the way, he's not done yet, he still has some more ministry, we'll see, but as a judge, what does he have to say? And the neat thing is, it's not bitterness, it's not sour grapes, it's not forget you people. He points them to the Lord, he promises to pray, he gives them hope. It's a lesson for us, friends, as we do ministry, to be faithful. Look with me at chapter 12 of 1 Samuel. We're going to do the the entire chapter, which is 25 verses, talking about how ministry requires faithfulness. And we'll have it up on the screen for you to follow along. We read this. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me, and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you. And I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I will restore it to you. They said... You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you and is anointed as witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord. Concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron. 
who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of your enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbaal and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God was your king. And now behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord and asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid, you have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will, forsake, will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. This is the word of the Lord. May the Lord add his blessing to its reading and its application to us this morning. We're looking at Samuel and looking at the stories that have shaped God's people and still today shape God's people. And here we see Samuel with his farewell address talking about his decades-long ministry. Where we're going, verse 1 to 5, ministry requires living with integrity. Then 6 through 18, ministry requires the ministry of the word. And then finally, in the last section, 19 to 25, ministry requires prayer and hope. The first thing he says as he addresses the people, though, is that his ministry has come with integrity. He knows that it's, it's over, basically. Uh, the king walks among you. You have a king. My role as judge needs to come to an end. You don't need both. So my role as a king has come to an end. Saul is the king. He's head and shoulders taller than everyone else. He looks the part. And he's going to be your king. And he says, my sons are with you too. Again, the people of Israel don't really care for the sons of Saul. They're not faithful like, uh, sons of Samuel. They're not faithful like Samuel 
was. But then he lays out before them in this first section that his ministry has been one of integrity since his youth. Since he was a little boy, hearing the word of the Lord, you may remember, in the tabernacle, hearing from God and faithfully serving in the temple area, he says, I have been faithful. And he says, I testify, go ahead and testify against me before God. What did I take? What did I, who did I, whom did I defraud? Whom did I oppress? What bribes did I take to to close my eyes to what was going on? You may remember that Mitch mentioned last week that the king who's coming will take, right? He'll take your sons, he'll take your daughters, he'll take your cattle, he'll take a tenth from everything. Take, take, take. And here Samuel says, as your judge, what have I taken? I've taken nothing. I haven't lived as a king. I didn't have a palace. I didn't get extremely wealthy from my role as a judge. And Israel has to testify, you're right, Samuel. You have not done any of that. And he says, the Lord is my witness, right? And they says, yes, he is a witness. First thing we see here about ministry is that character matters. (laughs) Personal integrity matters. Now, in some jobs, you might feel like it doesn't really matter, right? I mean... When it comes to being a pilot, does it matter if he's a good guy or a bad guy? It's just make sure he knows how to fly a plane, right? Or you might say when it comes to a surgeon, you know, I don't care if what she's doing on the side, if she's a, an alcoholic or sniffing cocaine, or as long as when it comes to that surgery, she knows what she's doing. Or a computer engineer, right? Same idea. They know their stuff. Now, we'll come back to that. I actually think it does matter. Character even matters when it comes to those type of things. But one thing we can say for sure is that when it comes to the ministry, our character is front and center. People do not want to know what you believe if they can't see it with their eyes. In fact, if they see the opposite, if they see hypocrisy, they're intentionally going to turn, be turned off by what you have to say. And that's true of anyone who is seeking to do ministry or outreach to other people. Certainly true of Christian leaders. When you hear of a pastor who falls into some sexual sin, he is committing adultery on his wife, do you still want to have to hear what he has to say? Maybe he's a phenomenal teacher. I mean, he's funny, he makes you cry, he's a great speaker, just an amazing preacher. But on the side, you know he has his hand in the cookie jar and he's taking money and stealing money from the church. You still want to listen to that guy? (laughs) Probably not, right? He has power issues. He's domineering. He's mean-spirited outside of the pulpit. Even if he's a great and phenomenal speaker, our ears are turned off. Spurgeon talked about the man who preached so well that when he was in the pulpit, people wished he would never come down out of it. But he lived so badly that people wished when they saw him out of the pulpit that he would never go back into it. (laughs) Because if his character doesn't match what he has to say, people are turned off. That's true of all of us, friends, as we do ministry. That's why it does matter when you go about your job, what your character is. First of all, as Christians, you're a witness wherever you are, in your office space or at the hospital that you serve at or the airline that you work for. The way you live speaks to your faith. But more than that, I think it will play in. I think that if some surgeon is sort of dishonest a lot, I'm not so sure she's telling me all the truth. And I think it does play into how we go about our jobs as well. We learn something from Samuel. We learn that character really matters. In fact, he lays it out first and foremost. 
I'm not defrauded. I have not been dishonest. I have not been oppressive. I did not take bribes. I served you with integrity. Uh, Let me say this. First of all, of course, we will sin. Uh, We're not going to be perfect when it comes to outreach or in terms of our lives. And Samuel himself was not perfect. Uh, He was not a perfect human being. He wasn't Jesus, right? Jesus is still yet to come at this point. We're studying here in the Old Testament. But he's faithful. Friends, when it comes to ministry, be faithful. When you sin, repent. Apologize. Recognize it. Turn away from it. Seek to be better. Seek to continue to grow in grace. Let's be careful with the things he specifically mentions here. Uh, Be careful with greed. Be careful with that sort of dishonest taking from others. Be careful with dishonesty in general. If people sense you're not honest in one issue, I'm not so sure they want to hear what you have to say about the Lord in the end. Maybe your testimony isn't quite as true and honest as you say it is. If I can't trust you in one area, what about the other? Be careful with oppressiveness, being harsh, domineering, controlling. Friends, if we live that way, it doesn't adorn the doctrine of God as we're called to do. Recognize, too, that the Lord is witness. Uh, Not just, don't just try to live with integrity when people are looking (laughs) and people can see you. God sees all. And Samuel can say with a clear conscience, the Lord is my witness. I've sought to be faithful. And one more thing on this first section before we move on. Be faithful over the long term. I love that, that he started as a young boy. Remember, after he was weaned by his mother, Hannah, she dropped him off in the tabernacle, and he began serving then. And here he says, I'm old and gray. Some of us can relate to being old and gray, right? And he said, in all those decades long, I've sought to be faithful. Be faithful over the long term. It's not enough to say, well, I've been faithful for the last month, (laughs) so you should listen to what I have to say about the Lord. Uh, No, can you continue on and on serving the Lord, trusting in him, repenting of sin and growing in grace, and speaking up about the Lord? I think, friends, that we, we overestimate how much we think we can do in terms of ministering into our city and to our friends and our neighbors and our family in the short term. But we underestimate how much can be done in the long term in terms of our witness to them. One of the things I love about our church family, and there's nothing wrong with new churches and church plants. In fact, we have a relatively new church that's meeting on the other side of the building. But one of the things I love about our church is that it's older than anybody sitting here, right? Um, There are no original members of First Baptist Church sitting here today unless you're 256 years old, right? Okay. So our, our, church, our church's charter was literally signed by the most famous signature in history. John Hancock, governor of Massachusetts, signed our church charter. And for 256 years, this church, up and down, it's had its problems and its issues, has sought to faithfully do ministry in our city. Loving people, feeding those who are hungry, clothing those who are naked in the cold winters here, welcoming people in and telling them the good news about Jesus Christ. That's what is effective over the long term. Character matters. But it doesn't end there. Ministry of the word then requires, a ministry requires the ministry of the word, speaking up about the Lord. Look what Samuel does next. 
He then turns to the word. He said he reminds them of the Bible. Now, the Bible he had was the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and the story of the judges. It's not done being written yet. We have the entire Bible now, uh, 3,000 years later. But 3,000 years ago, up to that point, you got the Torah, the judges, and he lays it out before them. Jacob went into Egypt. He's one of the early patriarchs. Moses and Aaron led them out in the Exodus. You guys probably know the story, or at least you've probably seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, right, at least. Um, and then the judges, who are maybe less familiar to us, helped people, the people of Israel be faithful. Jerubael, by the way, is Gideon, same person. Barak, Jephthah, up to Samuel himself. He reminds them of their history, and he reminds them of the word of God. And then he speaks clearly God's word to them then and there. He tells them, you have sinned. And you sinned by asking for a king. You sinned because you were afraid. The king Nahash was up against you, and you were afraid of him. And so instead of trusting the Lord, you wanted a king like the nations. You wanted a king you could see. You forgot the Lord. One commentator, Joyce Baldwin, said, Samuel sums up the basic sin of Israel in the words, they forgot the Lord their God. It is an indictment worth pondering. They forgot the Lord their God, who had been faithful to them over generations up to that point. He tells them what to do now. Obey the king, and it's going to go well. Rebel, and it won't. And then he does a miracle. He says, let me demonstrate to you the power of God. Right here and right now that sort of affirms, confirms what Samuel is saying. He says, let the Lord bring rain and thunder, which is notable because it's harvest time. And at that time, first of all, Israel's a desert, right? I mean, there's not a lot of rain in general, but particularly at harvest time, it doesn't really rain. So he makes it rain, or the Lord makes it rain, right at the time when it doesn't typically rain. And really, the nations, the pagan nations that surrounded them believed that the Baals and the Ashtoreth, the foreign gods, had power over the harvest and over the rain. You probably have heard stories of different pagan nations and so forth, you know, rain dances and they can control the rain. No, there's one God over heaven and earth and he controls the rain. By the way, this is still, of course, true today that we need to get to talk about the Lord. Samuel moves seamlessly from talking about his own character. You know, I'm blameless. There's nothing you can point to specifically above reproach. But then talking about the Lord. Talking about scripture and calling them to faith. Friends, if we're going to do ministry here in our city, that means ministering the word. And we, of course, have a fuller revelation than Samuel had. We have Jesus. We have to get to talking about Jesus. It's not just about you and your own personal integrity. That's important. That's essential even. But then you need to point people to the one who can actually save. (laughs) The point is not to point people to ourselves, but to God. And so if we only try to live out a faithful life, but never actually share the message that can actually save people, we have not actually done ministry. There's a, a common saying today that um, 
I think Christians in the past would have no category for it, right? Because we say it today and they, they wouldn't understand it. It's, I preach the gospel with my life. Christians in the past would say, I don't understand what that means. Uh, sometimes that's attributed, by the way, to Francis of Assisi. He did not say it, almost certainly. Not only did he not, he would not have said it. Uh, your life can reflect the power of the gospel, but you're not Jesus. <laughs> uh, I am a starving, spiritually starving person who has found the bread of life, but I'm not the bread of life. I can only point you to the one who is the bread of life. I can point you to God where you can find refuge and grace, where you can find spiritual sustenance. Living out in line with that is important, but it's not ministry. Point people to Jesus, and to do that, we do need to open our mouths. I mentioned this in the study last night, but there was a man who said, I'm going to just live it out in front of my coworkers." And he did it for decades and decades, and he said, I'm going to live out my Christian faith, and I'm going to let my actions speak for myself. And at his retirement party, somebody finally had a conversation with him about it, and he mentioned that he's a Christian. And the person said, oh, wow, all the time I thought you were a Buddhist. Never even knew why he was living the way with honesty and integrity, and all the glory was going to Buddhism rather than to the Lord. You have to tell people about Jesus. Just again, to some specific applications here, ministry means teaching people the Bible. And friends, I would say start with your family. If you have kids, younger kids particularly, sit down with them, read the Bible with them, teach them. If you have grandkids, try to you know, get, get their parents' permission you know, as best as possible. But you know, also share with your grandkids, bring them to kid town. Learn the Bible, invite people to church, get into a Bible study, invite others to join you. Stick to the scriptures. We need to know the stories that shape God's people. Also, learning from Samuel here, be open about sin and the need for repentance. Be winsome, but don't water it down. Be clear. You have sinned in asking, asking for a king. Trust God to do powerful things. Can God make it rain today? Yes, he could. <laughs> but his power is more often seen in the transforming of lives from darkness to light. God does the impossible. He does the miraculous. And then one more application here. Point people to Jesus, the word made flesh, the one who died and rose again. Make sure your ministry points people to the Savior. 19 to 25, however, ministry requires prayer and hope. Prayer, yes, prayer and hope. See, start them young. Right, Brendan? You got it. Requires prayer and hope. When the people see the rain and they hear the thunder, it begins to really sink in what they've done. And they recognize their guilt and they're afraid. The people fear God and they sense the shame of what they've done in rejecting him and asking for a king. And they asked Samuel to pray for them. Is it too late, Samuel? <laughs> what, what now then? Okay, we've blown it. And what Samuel does is he gives them hope. He says, don't be afraid. It's time to move forward. Very important. He doesn't say you can go back and change things. You can't. You've done what you've done. You've made your decisions. But you can go forward in serving the king 
that we have raised, that God has given you, and be you and your king being faithful. Good application, I think, for us there, friends. People all the time want to go back and change the past. You cannot change the past, but God will give you grace going forward. He gives them hope. And then he says, of course I'll pray for you. <laughs> uh, far be, this is, if, if any section of uh, 12 is quoted today, it's this one here. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Of course I'll pray for you. In fact, I would be guilty not to pray for you. Friends, we're called to pray for everyone, for our enemies, for our neighbor, and certainly for the lost. They reflect on their sin, on their failure, and he warns them going forward to put their hope in the Lord. I love the fact that he offers them hope. Again, Samuel just got rejected by the people, right? I mean, he could have easily been tempted to say, listen, you rejected me. <laughs> you rejected God. You've blown it. It's over for you people. It's, you guys are kaput, okay? You've, you had your chance. You, cho- you chose a worldly king. You want to be like the nations? Go ahead and try to be like the nations. It's done. But he doesn't do that, of course. He offers them hope going forward. The message of the Christian faith is never hopelessness. Ever. <laughs> it's never, everything is just so bad, it's over. There's no hope. I think, friends, we have to watch out. Sometimes I think Christians can sound that way. We can sound very condemning and very hopeless, as if we're really just preaching despair uh, and that all is lost. And, and I wonder if in some ways our culture would identify Christians and maybe even evangelical Christians in particular as those who are gloom and doom, saying it's all over, it's all bad. Or are we known as the people who always offer hope going forward? Just as one example of this, okay? So I could use a number of different examples, but one example, I try to never talk about abortion without always adding grace. Of course, I, I am pro-life to my core, but I, will, I try never to talk about it without adding, but there is forgiveness and mercy for those who have sinned. Because I have no idea who's in earshot of what I'm saying, even today, and what your past has been. There is always grace. I don't want anyone to ever hear the message of the Christian faith and say, well, I guess I'm a murderer and there's no hope for me. I'm going to hell. No, friends. There are only sinners. And God offers mercy to sinners. No matter how bad things have gotten, God can and does work. He works revival. And he can personally save anyone. Ministry requires character and integrity. Ministry requires speaking up about the word, and ministry always offers grace to people. First of all, it prays for people. Genuinely, by the way, it doesn't just say, I'm praying for you. <laughs> it's easy to say, I'll pray for you. Are you. You know, when we say that to someone, do you actually go and pray for them? Make sure you actually do pray for someone when you say, I'll pray for you. In fact, Samuel says, it would be a sin for me not to do that. I'm going to continue to pray for you and to continue to instruct you. In fact, this is not really the end of Samuel's ministry. It's at the end of his judgehood. But he continues to do a number of things for Israel, not only praying and instructing them. He anoints the new king David. We'll see that. He confronts Saul about his sin later on and all that. So he's not done with his ministry. He's going to faithfully serve the Lord right to the end. But I think what we can say about Samuel here is that he loves these people. Even though they rejected him, 
He genuinely cares about them. They need some tough love here, and he gives it to them, but he's not saying it's hopeless. There's definitely hope. He gives them the answer, the solution, the remedy, the cure. You know, make sure when you diagnose people with the biblical diagnosis of sin, the poison, the venom of sin, the disease, the pandemic of our depravity, make sure you always offer them the medicine, the antidote, right? There is a cure for it, and his name is Jesus Christ. It's never too late. It's never too late. I like what uh, the book of Hebrews says, as long as it's called today, don't harden your heart. Uh, There was a sign, I remember, in a restaurant, I think it was in the Chicago area, that had uh, painted onto the walls, a seafood restaurant, free crab tomorrow. So what happens when you come tomorrow? There's a sign on the wall that says free crab tomorrow, right? So tomorrow never comes. Today is any day you're still breathing and alive. (laughs) Any day you and I are still here is today. And the scripture says, so long as it is called today, harden not your heart. There is hope. There's grace. There's forgiveness. Right here, right now. And I hope that message is clear for you right here and right now. And those listening online, you have not strayed so far from God that he cannot save you. There's nobody who is so bad, so distant from God that he will not take you back in a moment for those who would turn to him in faith. Ministry requires faithfulness. And we get a little picture of that from Samuel towards the end of his, well, the end of his judgehood, at least. If we want to do ministry here in New England, as this church has done for 256 years, and around the world, it's going to require an ongoing, continual faithfulness. It's going to require character and integrity. Lives that reflect the truth of the gospel, that adorn the doctrine of God. It's going to certainly require ministering the word of God, speaking up about Jesus, telling people the good news. They need to hear it. And it's going to require lots of prayer and lots of hope. Like I said in the beginning, it would have been so easy for Samuel to say, I am I'm feeling so dejected, so bitter, so upset with you guys for rejecting me, rejecting my sons, that I don't want anything to do with you anymore. And I think that's a temptation still for us today in ministry. When you're dealing with people, people will disappoint you. (laughs) People will reject you. You'll get beat up. Not necessarily physically in this country, sometimes perhaps, but beat up verbally, mentally, emotionally. You'll get hurt. You'll get insulted. You'll get mocked. You'll get betrayed. Happened to Samuel. Happened to Jesus. And if I could just be completely honest... Um, There have been times, I've been your pastor for over 10 years now, um, there have been times where I've been hurt enough to say, you know what, I don't think I want to do this anymore. (laughs) I think I'm done. I want to go do something else. There have been times of dejection, times of feeling hurt and betrayal. And I think the answer, I don't feel that now, by the way. I feel very much excited to be your pastor. But there have been times of difficulty. I think the answer for Samuel and really 
ultimately we see from Jesus is to keep your eyes on God. See, why did Samuel do this ministry? It wasn't ultimately for Israel, although, of course, they benefit from his ministry. It was for the Lord. Why did Jesus, who was rejected and betrayed and mocked, why did he go through with it? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame in faithfulness to the Father. Friends, the reason why we do ministry ultimately is because we love the Lord and we want to serve him well. And with our eyes on him, we keep loving, keep serving, keep praying, keep witnessing. Till eventually we find ourselves in his presence and Lord willing, hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to guess that Samuel heard those words in time. And as we seek to learn from his example, good and bad, we look forward to the day in which we will be with the Lord and hopefully hear those same words, well done, good and faithful servant. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, thank you for your word. Once again, I just stand amazed that we can read a chapter from 3,000 years ago that applies so directly to what we experience regularly today. (laughs) We read yesterday's newspaper and it's no good. And yet we read the word inspired by your spirit, meant for your people and their instruction and growth. And it points us once again to you, a God of grace who receives us, the bread of life, and then to this calling to faithfulness, Lord. Help us as a church as we seek to maintain a character and integrity that speaks for itself in our community. And then, Lord, point people where this comes from. Point people to the Lord Jesus Christ and always offer hope as we pray for them. We pray this in Jesus' name, our Lord. Amen.